If someone wants to replicate what, you, what you've already done, okay, you're still behind because you're the one who's coming up with new ideas. You're the one that knows how to use AI to brainstorm, to come up with other ideas, to create content that the someone replicating or trying to emulate you can't. And I think you can't minimize how much that ability to become more than yourself and, and deviate, which may not have been something you'd ever have done before in prior episodes uh, or prior times, that is is the secret. And the the the, the folks who have kind of the, a fatalist doomsday, my job is over, um, diversify and be your authentic storytelling self and you'll be okay. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. In keeping with our theme of artificial intelligence, this episode was partially edited by AI using Descript which was used to help remove some filler words. Even though it was super helpful, it still has a long way to go before it's capable of replacing a human for our workflow. This message brought to you by an AI-generated Zach. We don't get many opportunities to have, uh, and I'm trying to avoid all the cliches like sea change and paradigm shift and game changer. Yeah. We rarely have things that impact the industry totally and completely. Uh, you know, we had the tsunami in 2011. Right. That that was a big one. But since then, or maybe the transition to, to uh, UHT, there's been nothing that's been this widespread in decades. So it's an important and fun time to be around, despite all the, the stress that it's causing people. 
Well, I, I can't imagine a better way to just seamlessly transition into actually recording our podcast interview together than that, because you have just led us off into the stratosphere um, before we even get started. I'm here today with the Michael Kamas, who is the Senior Director of Innovation at Shift Media. You're also the host of the Five Things web series, as well as the Star Wipes and Alan Smithy Tech Podcasts. And I will also say unequivocally that I consider you a friend. So, Michael Kamas, it is an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show for, I can't even keep count, but it's at least the third time, and you're on a very short list of people that have been here more than twice. So, it's, it's a pleasure to have you back once again. I'm I'm always honored because I love trading uh, tech barbs with you, uh, and I love what you've been doing over the past several years, Zach. So, thank you so much for having me back on. Absolutely. You are more than welcome. And uh, the conversation that we are having today, as you know, is the conversation that everybody is having <laughs> right now, which is what the hell do we do about artificial intelligence? And the place that I actually want to start the conversation is that I noticed you don't consider yourself an AI expert. <laughs> what are your thoughts on AI experts, Michael? <laughs> It, what's funny is is AI has been around for, for quite a while, and there's been folks who specialize in how to create models uh, and uh, what the math is behind that and the workflow and, and chain behind crafting a model. Uh, but how it's used practically is almost anyone's guess. And so there's a lot of side hustles going on right now where people proclaim to be uh, AI experts. And I'm sure they know a lot. I'm sure they know more than I do. But for folks to say, I know what's going to happen in a year, in five years, uh, it's it's craps. In fact, I, I uh, saw a study not too long ago that I think two years ago, they asked AI experts, how long will it take until we can train a model for like under $300 or something like that? And AI experts and published papers and studies said, oh, it'll be years. We we blew that open in under under 12 months. So it just shows that the experts right now are so off that it, it's it's to me like a roller coaster where you just have to hold on and hope that that seatbelt holds you in for the entire ride. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that's something you can uh, you could dig into even further, and we don't necessarily no, need to go in that direction. Um, but uh, kind of following at a, on a superficial level, those that are literally the godfathers of this technology, that are the CEOs and founders of companies that are developing AI, are coming out and saying, "I have no idea what's going to happen." So I'm just I'm kind of putting a you know putting a, a real emphasis on anybody out there right now that proclaims to be some form of expert or they not only understand all the technology and how it's working, or more importantly, I am confident I know where it's going next, you're probably completely, totally full of shit. It's it's the the concept of uh, applied AI, and and I know it sounds like that's a you know college one hundred and one course, but there's building the tool, and then how will that tool be used in an enterprising or hey, some men just want to watch the world burn kind of way. And I think that's where the difference is, is that it's easy to say, I want the AI to do this, this, and this. But once it's out in the world, how will people use it? I, I liken it to music, right? A lot of time when artists create music, they say, it's my message, but when I put it out in the world, it, it takes on a new meaning because it's what you believe that is and how you interpret that. And that's exactly how AI tools will be used uh, above and beyond what their core purpose is for. 
Yeah. So the there's a whole lot that we can go into in this conversation. And I think that um, kind of one of the general foundations that I just want to lay for it is that I have no interest in talking about, well, what's the the best plugin for, uh, you know, to, to having it do my editing for me, and adding my cuts, or I want something to, to do an EQ pass on my audio. Like I, you already know me very well. I could care less about the actual tech and the plugins. And um, as you alluded to in a recent presentation at Lassie Pug, which I'm actually, I'll link to the video for that. Because you. Um, you you go uh, you go more into some of the specific tech, but one of the things that you were very smart about in your presentation was saying six months from now, every single one of these companies could be out of business. So it's very it's moving so fast that it's hard to say this is now the definitive industry leader in image generation or in you know doing social media con- whatever it is. Everybody's trying to figure it out, and it's kind of this mad gold rush. It's kind of like the dot com boom. Of, it d- you know, definitely is. So in that sense, uh, I just want I want to set the table that this isn't really about um, very specific tech questions or applications. It's about asking the bigger questions about what does my livelihood look like as a creative professional and where are we going in the future? And really the, the biggest question that I think is on so many people's minds that I know I don't have the answer to, I'm going to assume you don't have the answer. We're just going to talk through it like rational adults is, are we all going to be replaced? So that's that's kind of the the bigger picture conversation that I wanted to have is not so much about the tech, but just digging into the implications of how artificial intelligence is going to change the world for creatives and frankly, for everybody. Uh, it's clear that it's no longer if it's going to, it's how it's going to. Um, but I want to I want to step a little bit backwards before we get very, very existential. Uh, and I want to go a little bit deeper into something that you said already, which is there's already been AI around for a long time. So just super, super basic. I want to talk a little bit about how AI has been around in the creative space and in tech for way longer than we might realize and talk about what's different because a year ago, there was a ton of AI in all of our programs, but nobody was talking about it and there wasn't this existential threat. And now all of a sudden, everything has changed. So just give us a little bit of background of um, what we're talking about with some basic AI and now why the conversation has changed so much. A lot of VFX artists I, I talk to chuckle over this because they're like, we've had AI tools for years. I mean, rotoscoping, right? A lot of that is based on uh, looking uh, at adjacent uh, pixels and saying, this is what it should look like here if I were to remove this object. So just in in recent history, that's been there, right? And so because of that, there's already, uh, there's already been a little bit of foundational knowledge uh, uh, around that. We've also had things like script sync, right? If you're utilizing like Media Composer, you're familiar with Phrase Find and Script Sync, which is being able to analyze the audio and then match it to text in a script. And while that's on kind of the lower, I don't say lower end of the AI gene pool, it definitely uh, is on kind of on the lower end, but gave us a glimpse of, of what's uh, possible today. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, one that I can think of that has uh, really kind of taken uh, the industry by storm, uh, especially unscripted and documentary for years, has been automatic transcription. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I did my documentary film, I don't know, just a long time ago now, at least 10 years ago now, um, I remember having to pay thousands of dollars to pay human individuals to sit down and go through all of my transcript or go through all of my interviews and type everything by hand, word for word. And I had this giant binder um, of all of these transcripts. And now you just take an audio file, drag and drop, at least for me, it's into Otter, right? Boom, done. And it's not perfect. Um, But to me, those are the kinds of things that have been in the category of, oh, this is really useful and it saves me some time and certainly saves me money. 
But then you think about the person that I hired 10, 15 years ago who had an entire team of transcriptionists. I would just assume they've been out of business for a long time now. But those are the kinds of things that, again, have already been in our lives. Siri is a form of artificial intelligence. Um, so many things happening behind the scenes, whether it's a smart fridge or whatever it is. Um, but what, what I'm really curious about is why is the conversation changed and why is it changed so fast? Help us understand the difference now. Well, the difference is billions of money, uh, dollars are being poured into it, which doesn't hurt anyone. Uh, and what we saw is the mass adoption because of what they call LLMs or large language models. That's the, the kind of chat GPT uh, that we're, most of us are familiar with. And that's the, the, the feeding into a self-training computer question and answer. So when someone asks it or types in a question, it can then respond and then mathematically determine what is probably the next word going to be in context here. And once that uh, became part of our, uh, I don't say experience, but when that started looking like it's going to be reality, this is something that can be done, the modularization of the components that made that up have now become commercially viable where you can train a model without having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. It can be done for just hundreds or thousands of dollars. And being able to then take that methodology and how these machines are learning and use that for different tasks, whether it be uh, uh, creating a fantasy story or creating a fantasy image, uh, these purpose-built models, that's what's exploding now because now you can tailor these models into any way you see fit and then put a .com at the end or a .ai and now you have a job. Right. Uh, and it seems to me that if, we're, if I know that you love terms like inflection point and turning point and all these other things, um, but I, I think that if we're going to uh, look back on this with some hindsight, whether it's in six months or five years, um, what you already mentioned, chat GPT, that seemed to be when the conversation changed because everybody knew what artificial intelligence was and we'd all seen the Terminator movies and we knew we had some, you know, AI going on and, you know, our transcription programs or whatever it might be in our NLEs or, you know, whatever field you're in. But it was when you had this model where you could say brainstorm for me, think about these ideas for me or synthesize this massive amount of information. That was the first time that I had the experience of, whoa, this is a totally different level of anything we've ever seen as a tool or can comprehend. And it's very clear that everything is going to change. So I, I definitely had that aha moment with Chad GPT and I had it it was right is at the very beginning of the conversation when pretty much everybody that I talked to hadn't heard of it, but a couple of people that were insiders in that world had heard of it and had passed it along to me. And I would start mentioning it like I even mentioned it to my wife and she's like, chat, what am I, you know, just regular everyday uh, discourse and that it only was maybe weeks where all of a sudden. It's my father-in-law. Have you heard of this chat BTG thing? Like, what is, I'm just like, whoa, this is happening really fast. And I don't know the exact uh, statistics, um, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't chat GPT the fastest growing user base of any program in history by like some ridiculous exponential amount? If I'm not mistaken, it's the fastest adopted consumer technology uh, ever. And uh, just like you, I had the same experience. I'm out uh, having sushi. Uh, with my partner, and I uh, mentioned something about ChatGPT, and sh she said, "What?" Showed her on my phone, and the the real uh, not I don't say genesis, but the the real turning point was that the 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 models have been around and the concepts been around, but we lacked that one uh, crucial tidbit, which was how does a human interact with it. 
right? When, when it became conversational, when that piece of the puzzle was, was completed, that's what opened the floodgates because now it was accessible to anyone that, that had uh, physical access or technical access, but it was that. The, the, the ability to understand what you and I would type in uh, or even speak as opposed to uh, feeding it some kind of code or script. Yeah, and I think that the the other thing, too, that we've become so used to, imagine um, it wouldn't be that long ago, certainly in our lifetime as adults, uh, but imagine what we can just do with a Google search now. That would have been jaw-dropping, give or take 20 to 25 years ago. I can't remember when you know those searches really became um, in the mainstream. Uh, but the very first version of searches through AltaVista or Netscape or whatever were very, very rudimentary, where it literally was just you got something spit back at you that was essentially what you asked for. Then all of a sudden you have a Google search where you, it doesn't have to be the perfect wording or the perfect Boolean characters and you can kind of rough it and you get all these other things that are relevant, but not exactly what you typed. It's like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool that it does that. But for me, it was the idea that you're generating ideas. It's not a matter of here's the, the search and I want you to feed back this information that you're finding. It's solve this problem, generate this thought. That was the thing for me that really was jaw dropping is um, give me five solutions to this problem or generate pros. Like I've I've uh, tested ChatGPT to see if it can write something for me in my voice because I'm certainly one of those people that based on whatever, you know, crawling these bots are doing and models they're learning from, I would assume that they've, you know, done some crawling of my own voice on the podcast on my own blog because I'm connected to the, the matrix like everybody else, um, I've asked it, just experimented with, write a newsletter about this. And I've never actually published anything like that, but I wanted to see, can I get this to do it? And there were moments when I'm reading it and I'm like, holy shit, that's better than what I would have written here. That's where I got scared. I was like, whoa, like how, how much longer am I even going to be relevant, whether it's as an editor, as a newsletter writer, you know, as a, as a member of the thought leadership space. That was the, the, the game-changing moment of like, this thing knows how to think like us. So to me, that was when things started to change, at least for me personally. Uh, I, I will take a little bit exception of with the word think. Yeah, and, that, right. and I was hoping you would. I right. wanted you it's, to latch onto that. It's repeating patterns that have a higher probability uh, of coming from something that you'd write. And I've done the same thing called vanity. Call it, hey, I want to see how I can augment my marketing uh, strategy. But yes, I type things in and say, make it sound like me. Make it sound like the five things series. And it works really well. And for the average person out there that that um, doesn't have a, a body of public work, um, you can do that almost free. Uh, I'll throw in some technical jargon out there. Uh, one of the words you may hear with AI are embeddings. Some people may call it vector embeddings. Uh, and that's being able to take your own content, right? Whether it's a book you like, or whether it's war and peace, right? Whether it's uh, the personal writings you've done, but have never put on the internet. Being able to have that indexed and added to an embedding that AI can then talk to means you can then ask uh, uh, a chat GPT like application, tell me something or answer a question using the data in this uh, embedding. And I'll tell you, Zach, it's, it's phenomenal when you, when you want to make it sound more like you or index data that may be proprietary. Uh, it's a, it's a great way to get a leg up uh, with information that isn't publicly available. 
Yeah, and what I wanted to get a little bit deeper into for those that uh, may not really understand uh, all the differences in the technology, because I'm very much a Luddite when it comes to most of this. But I realized I have to at least do some basic education because this is a serious game changer. And the reason I wanted to bring up this idea of quote unquote thinking for me is that I now better understand that if I uh, put something, whether it's into chat GPT or let's say that there's some closed model that scanned every word that I've ever written and listened to thousands of hours of my coaching calls. I know that it's not actually thinking for me. The only way that it can generate ideas is based on the information that you feed it. So it really is just a matter of a, a recompiling and a, a regurgitating of the existing information that it has. Is that a layman's description that's fairly accurate or am I way off for understanding how it actually works? No, I think that'll serve our purposes for this call. Um, I, I, I would not expect uh, LLMs as it stands right now, it's not going to create something out of nothing. It's not going to create something that's not intrinsically based on something that it's scanned in multiple formats from multiple people. Uh, so that I want to make sure that that we're making that completely clear. Yeah. So the, the fact that it's derivative, I think, is a really important part of this conversation. And the reason I think it's an important part of this conversation is that something that I've been saying for a while, and I know that when you and I uh, were on the, the Stump the Gurus panel a couple of weeks ago at Lassie Pug, um, I brought up this idea, and I know you seconded it, of those that are highly specialized with one specific technological uh, craft. Those are the people that are going to be in trouble because it's going to be much, much easier for technology to replace that one specific thing that you specialize in. And I firmly believe, as do a lot of other experts in this space, that this is the rise of the generalist, where it's our ability to problem solve across a multitude of complex challenges, or it's our ability to understand human emotion and human nuance. It's those people that I believe are going to survive relatively unscathed, and there's still going to be a learning curve in a relationship with the technology, but I was hoping you could go a little bit deeper from your much more educated perspective about this idea of will the specialists become extinct? Will the generalists become extinct? Will nobody? Will everybody? Um, and I'm not talking in an existential as people nature, but we're just talking from, um, you know, making a living as a creative. I'm curious what your thoughts are. And again, you don't know the answers, nor does anybody else, but um, you, you spend a lot more time in the space than the average bear. Um, so what are your thoughts about the existential threat that so many people are afraid of as far as I've got this one specific craft versus I'm a generalist or otherwise. Well, what do you think about all this? There's a there's a bunch of data points on that. And although nothing is an exact one-to-one -one with what we're experiencing now, there are some things we can look at in the past uh, and use that as an approximation. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, I believe he works for Microsoft and he used the term hackers. He said the 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 people that are that are going to thrive utilizing AI are hackers. And what he meant by hackers was people who are willing to use AI along with their traditional methodologies and being able to blend the two and kind of hack the two together. Those are the folks that are going to progress. The uh, founder of tools called Mm-hmm, Phil Lib Liblin, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, uh, had a great line, which was, uh, AI won't replace humans. Humans who use AI will. And I think that goes, goes right to your point. Uh, we've also seen in our industry, if we take AI off the table, uh, we used to have people who all they did was edit. Didn't do motion graphics, didn't do sound. They were a picture editor. We used to have a job of a compressionist, 
right? Someone who encoded stuff for DVD or into Flash for the web, right? And we've seen over the years that those jobs have morphed to encompass uh, more responsibilities, uh, except in, in you know the top 1% of the 1%, Editors now are expected to do some level of motion graphics or a, even a rough color pass or comp in some graphics, right? Uh, so obviously those jobs are just being uh, blown up with, here's what you need to do, which falls right into what you said, which was being a generalist, doing more. To go back to another example you brought up a few minutes ago, you talked about the transcriptions you used to do uh, for your documentary and that, you know, how many thousands of dollars you you paid. Well, that is a very, uh, not to quote the movie, a very specific set of skills, right? And as you pointed out, those are the ones that are going to get replaced first because it's easier to build a model to replicate a very narrow lane than it is to uh, uh, create a model that can be everything to everyone. So, and this is what I want to go into a little bit more next is this idea of what different specialties are already not necessarily in danger, but they need to be aware of the things that are changing versus those that are like, eh, this is something I need to pay attention to, but I don't need to worry about as much. And again, I don't, I'm not interested in getting into the specific companies or the tech sure. itself. Um, but if I'm somebody that's in a creative field and we can make the assumption that, uh, you know, probably the majority of people that are listening to this are in post-production, are in editing, are in writing, mm -hmm. um, some entertainment uh, driven or, you know, content creation media. So just kind of give me a general overview of what are some of the crazy things that are already completely and totally possible with artificial intelligence that weren't just a year ago. It's it's funny because what's possible with AI and and uh, and generative AI, uh, broadly speaking, now and for the foreseeable future is going to be stuff you don't want to do anyway, right? Uh, unless you're hiring someone to transcribe something. Is there anyone listening to this podcast that says, I can't wait to transcribe something? No, no one wants to go in and organize clips and find every time someone's face pops up. No one wants to do that kind of organization, right? Heck, that's why uh, NLEs have had some of that stuff built in for years. So it's the things that we don't like to do. Uh, we then start moving up to things like versioning. Right. So uh, I need to put a different audio track on this file before it goes out and swap out the captioning files. OK, great. Now we need to maybe morph the mouth so it matches the language that's been overdubbed so it works better for that localized uh, deployment. So uh, as we move up the food chain, there will be some of those jobs that are replaced. There's no way around it. Jobs have been morphing for years, especially in our industry. But it's it's not going to be the storytelling parts. It's going to be the supporting skills that are needed that are going to make that easier. Well, I know that just a, a few of the things that you demonstrated, which were it was the the tip of the iceberg of all the jaw dropping things that are not quite ready for prime time. But we can see that with the speed, everything is moving. It's not going to take long. Um, but the idea that we can just create an image, we can just say, make an image of this person in this background with 100 extras behind them, um, like the 
even though it's not perfect yet, um, we can see that we're, we're down, we're not that far down the road from I'm just going to enter a prompt and it's going to spit out a five minute short film or a 15 minute short film, or maybe we're not that far from I can actually create an entire feature film. Uh, another one that, uh, that you uh, demonstrated, and it was one of those where I was thinking, oh my God, I need to get this for me, which it makes my life easier. But if I were an actor or a speaker, it wouldn't. I don't remember the name of the technology itself, but it was basically you can do you can correct me on the specifics but you know shoot yourself talking in front of a camera just talking right to the lens for a couple of minutes it models that now you can enter whatever text you want and it's just you performing and you can say raise my eyebrow at this moment or have me scratch my nose or whatever and as soon as i saw this person talking and i saw their eyebrow raise of inflection based on the way you prompted it i was like this completely completely changes the game. And P.S. I want it because I hate being in front of the camera. So um, th so th there's a, this whole other level beyond the efficiencies of actually creating content or replicating humans that I don't think most people even realize exist yet. There, and I'm, and I'm torn because there's two sides to this. As, a, as someone who maybe you were working on a web video, Zach, or maybe you're working on a documentary where you need B-roll, right? We've all had to go through the slog of, I'm going to go to this stock site and see what I can find, right? If there's no budget to hire someone for that, or man, I'm going to spend all day just hitting preview on these audio files to see what works, right? That's stuff that is, is, is bothersome, not even bothersome isn't the right word, is um, not the, the pinnacle of the creative experience. Let's put it that way. And being able to generate that uh, on the fly, or at least tailor something that's more to what you want and what the story demands is fantastic. But then again, we look across the aisle and we see our friends who are making money shooting aerials, right? And helicopters, oh wait, their jobs are being taken by drones. But now, you know, so there's this, this food chain of jobs morphing and niche things uh, being taken over. Uh, what I'm excited for is the amount of web video that I consume uh, and the terrible B-roll that is used. I'm looking forward to a time where in our NLE, we can say, I want the B-roll to be this. No, I want to pan right to left, not left to right. Uh, I want it to be nighttime, not daytime. And I think from a creative storytelling standpoint, that's going to be great. The downside uh, is is for everything uh, that that makes it great. There is the the fallacy of well, I'll have more time to create because these tools are doing it for me. No, that's going to compress the time you have to create, which means you have to have greater throughput. So there's always a consequence for that, unfortunately. Yeah, the, this easily could be a three-part episode about the one thing you just said, which is the black hole of productivity. This mm -hmm. idea that, well, if this thing is going to make my life easier or save me time, think of all the extra time I'll have in my life to get more sleep and go to the gym and eat better and socialize with my friends. Well, you know what? I don't beat my clothes on a rock outside anymore. I've got a washer and dryer. Ask me how that's doing for my quality of life and all of the extra time that I have to spend with friends and family and on my health, right? And this is always the promise. It's always the promise and it drives me crazy. Think of all the time you're going to save in your life because you don't have to spend hours scouring stock footage. 
All we do is we continue to move the goalpost so that today's miracle meeting this insane deadline on an insane budget that then becomes tomorrow's expectation. So the, the fear for me is the exact opposite of the excitement that most people have. Man, think of all the time I'm going to have to be creative looking through stock footage. I don't have to do that anymore. There was another feature, um, and I apologize to anybody that uses Adobe. I can't remember the name of it, but it was another one of those jaw-dropping moments where they had a, a cue of music, and all they did was shorten it and it edited itself. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to put edits in it or say, well, I have to nudge this by a frame or two and cross dissolve. It was, this was a minute 30. I want to make it a minute. And it recomposed itself on the fly. It's like, well, there go the music editors. But again, it didn't just save me an hour of time to do something else. It moved the goalpost because now the expectation has changed. So the reason this scares me so much is the speed at which this is moving. This is, this is no different than all the advent of all the other modern technology that I feel that we've been immersed in over the last 20 or 30 years, but it's moved at a slow enough pace that we kind of sort of could adjust. Like, I don't think we really noticed the transition from I'm driving around with a Thomas guide to now I'm using Google Maps. If I look back at it, yeah, it happened quickly, but it wasn't like one morning you went in the Thomas guide and the next day you're like, oh my God, my Thomas guide has disappeared and I don't know what to do and I'm overwhelmed and how does Google Maps work? It was a gradual progression. My fear is that that's not going to happen that way with AI and the goalpost is going to move so fast we have no room to evolve with it. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, I would certainly agree because now we have uh, AI that can iterate on itself. Right. Whereas uh, we didn't uh, uh, have our first Garmin after the guide and Garmin said, well, I can build myself better and then I can sell myself for more. No. So we're going to see this happen even faster. Uh, and I, it, it's scary. And I, when I've talked to creatives who have said I'm worried for my job and they're like, Michael, you don't have to worry about it. No, I do, too, because part of what I do is take difficult technology and summarize it and convey it to people. Uh, you can type in any technical encyclopedia into a LLM or a chat GPT, and it will do the same thing. So <laughs> the, the thing I can recommend is you just need to stay up on it and you need to adopt it. You can't fight it. It's not going away. And the more you know about it, the more you can incorporate into your workflow. What I find really interesting, Zach, uh, to take this to the nth degree is at some point, we will be, in the not too distant future, we'll be having AI, generative AI, create content. You mentioned a few minutes ago, creating a five-minute film. But there's going to be so much content that we don't have time to curate it. So we're going to rely on AI to curate the content that's being created by AI. And that's what I'm going to find very interesting, how we differentiate what is quality content versus AI. And you know what that quality content is going to be? It's going to be people like you editing and not relying on algorithmic uh, uh, machine learning to generate these stories. And that's why I think it's so important for people not to give up hope and to realize that it, now more than ever, we need that voice because that's what's going to stick out uh, amongst the regurgitation of AI. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk 
is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah, and I, I want to go a little bit deeper in a second into this idea of the necessity for the understanding of human emotion and nuance. And I really believe it's our ability to to bring those things to the table that will differentiate ourselves. But what I want to point out, and it may seem obvious to many, but for those that it's not obvious to, I need to, I want to emphasize a point that you made even further, which is it's not that uh, AI is going to start making content decisions for us. It's been telling us what to watch for years. For years now, we have gotten to the point, and there was a joke that I made years ago where I said there's going to be a disorder someday that's going to be called Netflix Q anxiety. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't too far off because we're now at the point where there's so much content to consume, and I experience it myself. I go to my watch list and I'm like, nope. Just tell me what to watch next, right? Mm -hmm. And that seems convenient, but I think that from, from a thought leader perspective or from a cultural perspective, that can also be really, really dangerous. And the reason that I bring this up is uh, in, in learning more about social media and how social media algorithms work. And by the way, if anybody wonders, because I'm asked this, why don't you spend much time? Like, why don't I have a lot of content on social media? That's a whole other conversation in and of itself. But the reason as it, uh, applies to this is they've actually done studies where when you look at some of the most successful influencers, the reason they're successful is they know how to play the algorithm. They know how to, to say the right things or be controversial or be crazy or funny or they follow the trends. But then what they found is that psychologically, these people are becoming the person they had to be to feed the algorithm and they can no longer differentiate. This is me and this is the version of me that's playing an extreme version of myself to please the algorithm they become the same person. And from mm -hmm. a cultural perspective, to me, that's very, very scary. And that's a larger version of what you just said, where AI will tell us what to watch. And I'm trying to explain to people, it's already telling everybody what we're supposed to watch, what we're supposed to like, where it's now a matter of all, just give me my 10 choices, Netflix. Oh, thank you. You're telling me the top 10 movies this week. 
But the the part that I've found so interesting that I don't quite understand yet, but just again, from a cultural and a thought leader perspective is both fascinating and terrifying. It'll say the number one movie of the week is this, and it's a movie that's 15 years old. I'm like, how does that happen? And why are you telling me to watch this old movie that I never heard of before? So I just, I wanted to go a little bit deeper into this idea that a lot of these things that we think are going to happen have already been happening underneath the surface for years and we don't realize how it's changing us. And there's something else that I don't think a lot of people know uh, or have thought about is that um, a lot of us, uh, you know, many, many people uh, in, in the industry and, and uh, around the world, we're not fans of censorship. Right. We 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 were happy to have censorship uh, uh, in our house. Right. Because I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to see that. But when it comes to freedom of speech, that, you know, that's something that that we're uh, especially as Americans are, are huge into when you're using LLMs when you're using chat GPT. Those are what they call uh, clean models. Someone has gone in there and said, look, you're not going to talk about bomb making. You're not going to use this term or that term. And we're, I don't want to say okay with that, but it's not something we think about because we don't see how that sausage is made. And there's a large movement uh, out there to say, look, they call dirty models. We want these dirty models. We want people to have access to this because it may be not PG, but it's part of the creative process to use things, maybe even in jest, obviously with proper decorum, there are things that uh, that are, you're cleaning out of there that we could use for storytelling or, uh, you know, if you remember the movie Seven, right? Remember when they uh, uh, there was an index of uh, 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 banned books and libraries, mm -hmm. right? And they kept a record of people who checked these out. And I believe uh, 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 Brad Pitt said something to the extent of, we're going to catch some kid who's doing a, a report on World War II or something. And so now there's going to be people who are handicapped uh, on getting this information because it's not available because someone else said this should not be in here. So uh, that's another issue we have to deal with with these large language models because we don't get to see what made the cut and what didn't. I'm going to do, do our best to curb this one out without it becoming hugely political and cultural. But I think it's it's very challenging to talk about the threat of AI or just how do we manage or embrace AI or make sure that we can save our careers without at least talking about this briefly. But then I'm going to rein it back in kind of down to earth in the practical. But I think um, it's at least important to note that for years, if we look at the the political discourse and the, the de-evolution of our political discourse, it's largely been because we now have algorithms that can say, this is what we want everybody to see. And this other thought idea is an idea that we don't want people to see. So it's not blatant censorship, but it's kind of sort of censorship. And it doesn't matter which aisle or the political spectrum you're on. It doesn't matter if you're far right or far left. We all just know that what we're looking at on our Facebook feeds or on you know, Google search or anything, it's not just here's the information available and you choose what you want to consume. It is manipulated in such a way that we're seeing specific things to please the algorithm and make sure that people stay engaged. But now the difference is that that was just choosing human-generated content, but now we're amplifying the exponential growth of artificially generated content that's then been artificially curated by artificial intelligence. So it just, it's, again, it's this exponential growth, a speed at which um, us understanding how this is going to work or evolve, as I've said before, it's like asking a dog to do calculus. Like just we have no comprehension of how all of this is going to compound because it's going to move so fast. 
the there's always going to be bad actors with any technology and we can we can and I'll, I'll putting an asterisk next to this we can rely on uh, larger news uh, quote unquote news organizations to be uh, to keep their editorial I don't say indifference but have a kind of moral high ground of we're not going to frankenbite this we're not going to generate someone's voice. And there's, you know, at a journalistic standards, but we've seen for years now, more and more people are getting their content online where folks who generate that content or report on that content aren't keeping those same journalistic uh, standards. And that's what worries me. And uh, not to get off on a, a tangent, we right now do not have any ability to trace content from when it was acquired through distribution, right? Blockchain was supposed to be that holy grail. And then the crypto world blew that up and sullied it, much like um, peer-to-peer sharing in the uh, early aughts got shelved for a good decade because it had that Napster, LimeWire uh, kind of piracy vibe to it. Um, So that's what worries me is that we don't have a way of tracking content to verify that this has not been uh, altered. And I think during the next election cycle, and especially overseas, uh, where there may not be the ability to have a political discourse uh, as rampant as we do, that is what really scares me. Yeah, and the the, the thing I think, uh, again, I, I really wanna try and not make this political or existential, but it's really hard to not do that with this conversation. Um, but the the other thing too, and this really, this kind of dovetails us back into the creative process, um, but it's not just a matter of we have uh, words that are written by AI, like you can say chat GPT, create 10 posts a day about this topic, um, but it can now be a matter of like for, and one of the examples I brought up at that last pug meeting and i would guess the technology is already way better than it is now but if you put in joe rogan ai podcast i played uh, an episode not the whole thing but i played parts of it where joe rogan interviews dwayne the rock johnson and if somebody hadn't told me that it was 100 ai generated i would have thought it's the two of them it just sounds like they haven't had their coffee yet like it blew my mind and this is in the nascent early stages of the technology so one of my fears is why the hell do i even need to podcast anymore couldn't somebody just feed a system with all of my past podcasts and decide they want to have the zach arnold optimize yourself podcast and there's a video of me talking just like this and it knows my mannerisms and it knows all of my ideas and my frameworks no, but, like, but, but see see that it doesn't know all of your ideas that knows everything I've put out there. Exactly. That's the difference. And that goes right back to what we talked about earlier, which is if someone wants to replicate what, you, what you've already done, okay, you're still behind because you're the one who's coming up with new ideas. You're the one that knows how to use AI to brainstorm, to come up with other ideas, to create content that the someone replicating or trying to emulate you can't. And I think you can't minimize how much that ability to become more than yourself uh, uh, in this imaginative way uh, and, 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 and deviate, which may not have been something you'd ever have done before in prior episodes uh, or prior times, that is, is the secret. And the, 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 the folks who have kind of the, a fatalist doomsday, my job is over, diversify and be your authentic storytelling self and you'll be okay. 
Yeah, and the, the example that I want to go back to that I used before, but I want to frame it in a different context that, by the way, um, at our presentation, completely made up while I was there on the spot. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually going to use this. So much so that after my presentation, you know what I did? You made T-shirts? I bought the 2002 version of the Thomas Guide. Okay. <laughs> because I, I, this is the version, because I, I looked around for my version that has all the post-its and the notes. and It's not nostalgia. your trunk? Like no, I didn't. And- I'm really upset that I didn't keep it. So I actually bought another one. But just for sentimental reasons, I bought the 2002 version because, oh, my God, that's how old I am when I moved out to Los Angeles. The point is that I want to physically help people understand that if your job for a living is to manufacture Thomas guides and it's 2002, your business is about to disappear. However, if your job is to help people navigate from point A to point B, you just need to learn different systems and technology to solve the same problem. And I feel like as creatives, whether it's as editors or writers, any kind of storytelling that we do, whether it's with visual audio mediums, if it's a matter of I provide this one service with this one technology, you're screwed. You're going to be extinct. But if it's about I want to help you achieve your vision and I just need to embrace a different process and different technologies to make that happen, that's where I feel like you said, if we diversify, we've got nothing to worry about whatsoever. Now, the the AGI conversation, that could be different when Skynet becomes fully self-aware. But at least for now, I feel like, again, if, if it's a matter of I was a Thomas Guide salesman, now I'm going to sell garments, and now I'm going to sell my own version of Google Maps or whatever it is. I'm solving the same problem with different tech. So now how do we apply that general uh, mindset specifically to being a storyteller? Because the thing that I'm the most afraid of, me personally, is what you said, which is that you have to learn it and you have to keep up with it. How? It's moving so fast and there's so many things to learn that I'm still trying to figure out when do I want to adapt the new version of Avid? Because I really like 2018 and I don't want to learn the new colors and the new windows and the new menus. And the thought of learning AI and adopting it, it moves so fast. I'm, I'm terrified. I'm going to waste my time learning something that's going to disappear and change in three months. I, I read a good article this morning, uh, uh, which was uh, a somebody who's going to college and they were saying, do I even bother trying to, to learn AI and ML because it's changing so rapidly, right? It's like the people who were learning punch card computers in the 70s before the, the, the evolution in the late 70s, early 80s. And is all my information gone? No, the fundamentals are always there, right? Zach, uh, you've been editing for years. Whether you're cutting on a flatbed or whether you're cutting dig- uh, digitally, the same underlying fundamental uh, nomenclature and procedures still there. So that isn't wasted. Um, I think if you look at teachers, right, who have had to adopt to uh, how do I teach uh, and how do I have students not cheat? Well, okay, we'll do in-person interviews, right? So being able to mold how you're conveying this information and, uh, and utilizing it, I think, is the most important thing. Uh, So I agree with you, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate for a second. uh, And I'm actually going to uh, blatantly steal from a quote from uh, one of our fellow colleagues, Sven, uh, who runs the the go to editor. And this guy edits uh, a YouTube channel. And, you know, he's he's got all kinds of amazing resources if you want to learn how to edit. Uh, And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because I don't have the quote in front of me. But he's essentially said something to the nature of AI is going to replace all of the editors. 
he's he's he said that he's looked at some of the technology and he's like most uh, i think he said this along the lines of like 80 percent of editors are about to be replaced which is the total opposite end of the spectrum of we're totally safe but we need to adopt the tech technology so what are your thoughts on i just i want to i'm not you know, calling him out specifically sure um but the, those that are the the doomsdayers that are like we're done. Like they're the it's gonna figure out how to do the match edits, what's they're already training AI and how to do match edits and how to choose coverage. And um, so what how how do we approach those that are like it's over? Well, there, there's a couple things there. It's not binary, it's not our jobs are done tomorrow. Uh, it's not uh, uh it's it's a long tail as this evolves. Uh Zach, uh, I wouldn't consider you an actor, but I bet. If you were to watch a someone, uh, uh, a poor actor on television, you'd be like, oh, that, that person can't act, right? So we may not know how to do it well, but we can recognize when it's bad. And right now, a lot of AI is bad, right? You mentioned the whole the Joe Rogan podcast. I think someone said uh, it sounded like him and The Rock uh, before their cup of coffee, right? Uh, the generative AI that's being created now has an aesthetic to it. Right. You can look at it like, oh, that's that's fake once you look at it for a bit. So there's there's uh, there's a ways to go before AI uh, can start replacing things. Heck, if we look at some of the most basic things AI is used for, like speech to text, um, I don't know anyone that gets a transcript back. and doesn't have to go in there because it missed someone's name or it missed an acronym that that industry knows, right? So there's a ways to go before it's replacing. And uh, I think Sven is looking at it at more of a journalism type uh, feel where it's content that needs to be generated without a lot of soul. I could see that being automated to some extent, but no one, Zach, no one who's gotten into media entertainment got into it because they liked organizing media. No yeah. one got into this industry because I can't wait to do a uh, a 30 second montage of B-roll, right? That people got in because they wanted to tell a story. And that, again, is what's going to stick out uh, through this whole AI process. Yeah. And uh, let, let's go back to this Joe Rogan thing for a second, because when it comes to this as uh, actually generating something from scratch, this is very much related to, I think, that the work that editors and storytellers are going to do. And if, like you said, there's this long tail, and I love your analogy of I'm not an actor, but I can immediately point out great acting versus bad acting, right? And I think that for, for I mean, a long time, if not forever, we would have known all right, this thing that I'm listening to, this was generated by a computer. However, if you listen to that one specific episode, I was thinking to myself, if I didn't know this was AI, I don't think I would know that it was. And I feel like that is such a giant shift in such a short period of time that I'm wondering how far away are we? And again, I'm not expecting you to have the answer. We're just kind of speculating. But how far away are we from? And I'm not being facetious. I'm being totally realistic. Let's mm -hmm. say that I am the editor of the Joe Rogan AI podcast. And I put together a version and I listened to it. I'm like, you know what? In the next version, please inject 90 milligrams of caffeine into Joe Rogan. And all of a sudden, the inflections change and the energy and the voice goes up 10% louder because there's a difference with me before caffeine and after caffeine. It seems to me that even though um, there's, there's a lot of iteration that needs to happen, the speed at which it happens, I feel like we're months away from not knowing the difference as opposed to 10 years away. In the next 12 months, uh, there will be the ability to localize this on your machine, meaning you don't have to go to a cloud, 
right? Uh, there will be the ability to do that. It won't be great, but you'll be able to. Uh, there already are uh, uh, text-to-speech generators that you can say uh, you adjust the, what they call the temperature, right? Which is usually the amount of deviation uh, uh, that it's applying to and to have it enter in an um or to be uh, to have more inflection. So that's already there. What I'm looking forward uh, to is, uh, and I'm sure you've done this with speed ramps with video, right? You're changing at what point it goes faster, it goes slower. You'll have that point inside your timeline to be able to pitch up, right, at the end of a sentence uh, and change that inflection uh, without much issue. And I, I, you're already able to, in some of these uh, text-to-speech, to put markers uh, in their uh, interface and say, happier here or louder here. So that's that's very uh, uh, achievable and is already being done to some extent right now. Yeah, and the, there's there's two angles from which I wanted to, to bring this up. The first of which is just, I really believe that very, very soon it's gonna be almost impossible to differentiate between is this real or is this generated by AI? But the second part that I think is much more optimistic and the reason that I wanted to have this part of the conversation is that there's still a human being that's saying, I want to change the temperature of this slightly and I want to change this inflection. You know what? Um, I've got this you know, digital version of myself on the screen, but I still need to tell a human being, you know what? Let's add an eyebrow raise after that sentence or you know, maybe maybe the pitch should go up at the end of this sentence rather than it going down. That's still a human being that's understanding the nuance of human interaction that's being a storyteller. That to me is the optimistic part of this is it's very different from the tools we have now, but it's still a human interacting with a machine to tell a story with nuance, correct? It's evolution. It's evolution of the job of the creator to adopt new tools and use those tools based on the experience of what they've done prior. So is it a, a bigger leap? Then going from SD to HD or HD to 4K or black and white to color, definitely. But it's still the same concept, which is applying what you've learned uh, and utilizing new tools to exploit or express that. Yeah, and the, this is going to be 30 seconds of my own shameless self-promotion. Um, but I know that um, I, I personally am at a place where I don't need to adopt or learn the tools as it's related specifically to editors or uh, storytellers in the, the Hollywood content space, because I've now transitioned out of that as far as making a living. And I'm pretty sure we're not going to have AI generative content on the final season of Cobra Kai. However, looking at it from the perspective of me being a content creator and a podcaster and a writer and creating newsletters and all these other things, I have to learn different forms of AI to make sure that I'm keeping up. But the part of it that I that's self-promotion, and this is something that's a bigger picture concept I've been talking about even before AI, is that our the current educational system that we have is woefully under-preparing us to manage the volume of information and responsibilities that we have in the 21st century. And if we don't prioritize our ability to learn how to prioritize and manage our time, we're going to get so lost and spinning our wheels just trying to keep up that we never keep up.
So that, that's one of the reasons that I think it's so important for people to not just say, I'm going to specialize in one specific craft and I'm going to become an expert on Avid or on Premiere or on After Effects or whatever it is. You're now at the point where you have to develop the meta skill of learning multiple skills because the speed at which this moves is so fast and the information overwhelm now is so great. I mean, I have multiple students and clients now that come to me with the sole purpose of, can you just tell me what to do next? There are so many things I could be doing next. I don't know what to do next. This is a skill that we're not taught. So what I want you to help me understand specific to AI is how do I start to break this down? If I now accept that AI is a part of the future, one of the things that I've written about is that it's uh, that we essentially have two choices. It's either we are going to manage the AI or the AI is going to manage us. A, world, a creative future without AI is not happening. We're not going to stop it from evolving. But if I want to break it down to something that's manageable and I do want to start learning, but I don't want to massively be overwhelmed, I don't want to spin my wheels, I don't want to constantly learn the wrong apps that go out of business in three months, help me break this down into manageable bite-sized pieces. You know, I don't like saying I don't know, but there is no universal, let me go to this forum and it will show me the top apps that are used for these things. Uh, there are so many grifts right now going on. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't talk about a lot of the, the names of the uh, software at Laxipug, because there's, there's 10 that are all doing the exact same thing. So I, I don't have an answer for you. Uh, uh, there are several places that you can, that have, uh, that are like AI clearing houses and people can upvote. This one works, this one does it, but how do you know that's not bots? Right. So the only thing that I've been able to do reliably, and it's not easy, is uh, consult multiple sources, just like how you consume news. I hope everyone out there, again, not to get political, but I hope everyone out there realizes that everything is going to have a slant. Try and find what what is common, the common thread between all of them. So when you're looking for text to speech, look up uh, when you find a product. Look it up online in various places and see if other people are talking about it. Uh, that's the best thing I can offer. Or like you and I do, we go to user groups. We talk to the community because if there's one thing our community likes to do, it's geek out over tools. So uh, being part of the community, whether it be virtual via social network or in person, that those are the other resources for you to say, have you heard about this tool or I've used this tool and it's great. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's 
that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, so I I think that this idea of I'm going to consult multiple sources to get a sense of what is the current consensus on this might be the app or the tool that people seem to be learning and adopting. Um, I'm going to bring it up a little bit higher level. Because uh, even though I know next to nothing about AI tools, one of the most common questions that I get is, I need a better to-do list app. What's your favorite to-do list app? And my head literally explodes anytime somebody asks me this. Because mm-hmm. I tell them, it's not about the app. It doesn't matter what you choose. It's about the system. It's about the meta skill of knowing how to prioritize and break things down. Then you can choose whatever app you want based on the color choices. Or it has a labeling feature versus a tag feature versus automations. Like, I don't care, right? So if we're going to bring this up to one level higher and it's a little bit more about meta skills, it's not, well, I need to learn Mind Journey or I need to learn Jasper.ai. Like it's, I, I can't even bring myself to even start learning the specific tech parts of it. But it seems to me that if I'm going to start to learn meta skills, for example, if it were a matter of I wanted to become a better editor, I wouldn't start day one diving into a, a premiere or Avid or anything else, I would start by better understanding how do I analyze performance and how do I sort through and break down raw dailies. I can do that on a flatbed. I can do that with a Moviola. I can do it with Premiere. I can do it with the brand new iPad version of Final Cut. But it's the meta skill of I'm looking at a bunch of raw dailies. How do I find the best moments? That's a meta skill that's technology independent. What are some of the skills that we're going to have to adopt and be good at regardless of whatever app might ever end up taking over? Well, the term we tend to use is is a uh, uh, prompt jockey, right? Which is how can I ask, how can I take what uh, what I hear in my head, my internal monologue, and put that in text in a way that the model can interpret what I'm what I'm typing and give me back what I'm looking for. And there's a couple ways to approach that. There's you become a better communicator, or it's people engineering the LLM to, to understand that when someone is in this age group, in this part of the country, they tend to use this phrasing for this and adjust to you. And I think that's what we're going to see more of. Unfortunately, I think it should be the other way. I think we should learn to be better communicators. But I think more often than not, we're going to see more and more what they call data sets to train mm-hmm. these models to understand poorly constructed commands. Um, and I, I, I wish it was more optimistic than that, but I think that's what we're going to see more of. Well, I mean, we've seen the same thing with the de-evolution of the media as well. It's not a matter of let, let's educate the public so they can better understand the sophistication of politics. It's let's dumb down the headlines and the topics that are getting the most engagement based on the lack of education in society. I mean, it's it's, it's the same kind of backwards thinking. Um, and again, I'm not going to turn this into a political conversation, uh, but you brought up exact, if this had been a reverse and you were interviewing me, I would have said the exact same thing. If there's a skill that I want to learn right now that I'm looking into, it's how do I become a better prompter? 
Because if I learn how to communicate better, and frankly, what I do now for a living is I communicate and I teach people how to communicate better. I don't believe that there's any more valuable meta skill just to survive and thrive as a human being than your ability to communicate your ideas. And what I want to learn is how do I communicate with AI? It doesn't matter if it's chat GPT or all the million and a half of other um, AIs. It seems to me that the one constant, and this might even change, but at least for now, the one constant is I have to prompt it to do something. I don't have a, a Bluetooth chip in my brain where I just think about it and it does it. I have to communicate words and my ability to communicate the proper words the most concisely to get the best image or the best piece of music or the best spreadsheet or whatever it is, I differentiate myself from the other editors, writers, accountants, whomever it is using AI. I now compete with them because I'm a better prompter and a better communicator. To, to augment that a little bit, for so long, the software tools that we've used in the industry have been built for people who can work in a certain way. And our, our software tools and creative tools really need to be reworked to uh, uh, accommodate folks who are ne uh, neurodivergent, right, who think differently. Uh, there are some people, you've heard of uh, folks that do math, uh, you know, fa very fast in their head. And sometimes they say, well, that number has a, a, a shape or a color, right? They process those things differently. And so our AI tools that are being developed need to, uh, uh, and they're getting there, to say, well, it's the prompt, the text, but also here's the image that that conjures up in my mind. And here's kind of the, the beat of what I'm thinking of. And AI being able to synthesize these different forms of input to more closely align with you. And uh, that will eventually give way, uh, if you've seen the movie Her, right, where the OS is, is uh, uh, tailored around that one person, we will have our own personal AI assistants that will start to uh, synthesize things in the way we do. So it really is a personal assistant and not just a general purpose assistant. Yeah, now we're getting into truly terrifying territory for sure. Um, but uh, I, I really like this idea of there, there, the one of the, the positive things or the value in this is it is going to be much more broader and more open to those that very much think differently or process information differently. And I hope that it lends to a lot more accessibility for a lot of people. Uh, but just to, to really triple down on the point that at least for now, the what I'm focused on is not the tools, I'm focused on the skills. What are the meta skills that I need to evolve with so I can become a part of this new direction that we're going rather than saying, well, I'm, I'm, I love my Rand McNally Atlas and I'm sticking with my Thomas guide. Like I, I could technically, I can navigate LA with this right now, right? The, I, I could do that, those, but why, why would I? For those who are listening to this, who are in the LA, New York feature film, television realm, uh, you need to have a stiff upper lip because there are companies and facilities that make their money doing things a certain way, using certain amount of gear and using certain tools and charging a certain amount for that. And this AI threatens how their business works. Just like Final Cut 7 threatened the whole, or Final Cut 304, 304 threatened the industry when that came out uh, uh, and undercut Avid, right? Changed everything. So there's gonna be a lot of pushback. There's going to be a lot of pushback, and I don't want anyone out there to be uh, uh, dissuaded from it. I don't want someone, people to be afraid of it. It's something that will augment how you create. And if you did get in, indeed get in this industry to tell a story, this is just going to give you more ways to do it. So now I'm going to piggyback off of that to take an alternate approach. 
what if I'm not a creator? What if I'm not here to be a storyteller? What if what I'm really good at and the service I provide is that I'm really good at organizing metadata and I'm really good at organizing bins for my assistant editor and I'm a whiz at syncing footage and I love the technical aspects of my job. I'm in a different situation right now than those that are the complex problem solvers. And I know that many of those people that feel that way are also wondering what the heck is going to happen to my job and my career path. So let's talk now, not to those that are solving the complex creative challenges and understanding the nuances of human emotion. What about those that love the technical aspect of the job? Now what? Well, again, it's, it's not binary, right? Uh, we've been promised for years, hey, this, this relink tool works great. And yet we still spend uh, hours upon hours relinking media or we do our online conforming to something and it doesn't quite line up. So there's always going to be that that percentage that needs to be checked and double checked. Um, Aside from that, you need to learn more skills. I hate to put it that way, but whether it's I'm going to take this organization methodology and apply it to transcoding or apply it to this other part of the industry, or maybe I'm going to do VFX as well uh, in terms of prep. I'm not just an editor, I'm a VFX editor as well. Uh, you, you can't hang your hat on this one thing is going to keep me through. Uh, I hate to keep say, saying it, but you, you got to diversify and learn more. Yeah, and the, there was a really important conversation that uh, that happened and really opened my eyes, and I kind of had a little bit of an aha moment again when we were uh, we were on the panel giving that presentation. Um, it was this idea of if we're talking about the technical aspect of the job, let's use assistant editors uh, for a second, uh, and it, it's a matter of well, is AI going to replace the assistant editor because now AI is going to know well all of these scenes go into this bin, and this is the way that these scenes need to be organized. I'm going to auto sync them. I mean, we've already had things like pluralize for years that are doing a lot of this work for us. And was that then, foolproof? It Was that foolproof? Not, not only was it not foolproof, <laughs> but here, here's the bigger thing is that if I'm looking at from the editor perspective, I don't want to deal with any of this crap. I want an assistant editor that knows how to deal with all this technology because I want to have nothing to do with it. I don't want to have to learn how to communicate with and prompt a system that's going to organize my dailies for me. I want an assistant editor that knows how to work with the technology. They can give the prompts to organize my dailies. So to me, it doesn't replace the person that would be in that chair at all. It would just change the way that they do their job and the way that they interact with it. And also the expectations that I have about how quickly it would take to do something. But never in a million years am I going to say, oh, with all of this AI, I don't need to hire an assistant. If anything, I'm thinking I want one even more because I don't even want to learn this crap. I want somebody that's taken the time to learn it, to learn to write the prompts so I can focus on my portion of the job. So when somebody had brought that up, that was a real eye-opening moment that the people that hire you don't want to learn this stuff and replace you. They just want you to better manage it yourself. Yeah, I I can't disagree with any of that. Uh, So what are we missing? What is the the part of AI um, that you feel you talk about the most? That's the most important part of this conversation that we have not dug into yet. Uh, well, th- that that uh, last part that we have not dug into, I think we've got, we kind of beat home the point that storytelling is not going away, and that's what's going to set you apart. Uh, the what I would like to share is that everyone out there needs to be skeptical. AI is not perfect. Stuff that isn't AI isn't perfect. And we have to be skeptical skeptical of not only the media that we're consuming, but also the promises of this AI will uh, eliminate uh, this requirement that that you have. Um, It's AI is not foolproof. 
It gets most of the way there at best. So just be skeptical of these claims and be skeptical of media that is showing you something that seems too far-fetched. So the first answer to this question, I can already give myself, and then I want you to to break it down further. Um, But if I feel totally overwhelmed and I just want to get started by learning some basic resources, I would first answer the question myself and say, well, whatever Michael Thomas is creating and putting out into the world is the resource that you should be using. You are now my guru when it comes to, I want to know what the hell is going on with AI. I'm just going to search you first. (laughs) <laughs> but beyond that, if there are just some some basic things, if I'm coming in here as a total neophyte and I'm a Luddite, I'm like, all right, I understand that I'm going to have to start adopting this technology, um, but it's not really my thing and I'm not super adept at it. What are some basic, basic resources that are at least out there now, knowing by the time we release this in a week or two could already be out of business? But in general, um, how can you help me start to, to curate where I can at least get started? Oddly enough, it's it's self-referential. Uh, go to OpenAI, get a chat GPT account, and ask it. I know that sounds <laughs> that complete, scares me. What? I know that sounds I know that sounds completely completely dumb, but it it unlike your tech friend who fixes your network when it goes down, you can keep iterating and say, I don't understand this. Explain it to me like I'm five. Explain it to me uh coming from this perspective. Ask it. Uh, in fact, that's kind of a power move that I, I share with folks all the time is if you use ChatGPT and you finally get a response that you like or that answers your question, ask ChatGPT, what could I have asked you at the beginning that would have gotten this answer? And it, it, it's, it's totally simple, but that will then train you. It will condition you on how to prompt better because it's told you how to prompt uh, itself for the answer. Yeah. So in that instance, I say, who is training whom in that scenario? That's, that's well, when we talked about the clean models and dirty models. So that obviously is something uh, to play in there. But you're right. You're definitely yeah, right. The, the one other thing that I'll point out, and I have no education about why this is whatsoever, um, but it's something that I've definitely learned beyond the shadow of a doubt. You can maybe talk about it a little further. Uh, but in the conversations that I've had with ChatGPT, it is very clear that it does not have access to accurate data. Because I've access, I've I've tried to trick it, and I've asked it questions about me where I know what's true and what isn't. Uh, for example, I asked it to write a bio about me, like you know, write a, a credits or bio list. Oh, and it like five, there are like five yeah. shows I've never even worked on. I'm like, what the hell? So I, I think when it comes to the uh, the the ability for it to, um, you know, uh, compile specific information or have these conversations, that's one thing. But if you're using it as a more sophisticated extension to a Google search, you got to be really careful about what it's spits out because it spits out a lot of bullshit right now. One of the things, and I brought this up uh, earlier, again, not to get too technical, but uh, a popular route is to use embeddings, right? So you could certainly, let's say, index uh, a manual on something, right? And then ask ChatGPT, who's indexed that manual because you gave it that manual, summarize this because I don't understand it. Right. So there there is the ability to not rely on what it's indexed when someone else trained it and instead augment what it what it knows, quote unquote, uh, with your own content. So that's a that's a very inexpensive way to do things and a much more accurate way to do things. 
Yeah, that, that is one thing that I found to be tremendously useful, where it was one of those, uh, oh, wow, I actually have more time to focus on the creative, is I had several articles that were like two, 3,000 words. And I said, take this article, and I want you to break it down into three keynote slides with bullet points. 30 seconds later, done. I'm like, oh my God, you just saved me an hour. But it was my own thoughts and ideas, so it was all accurate. It wasn't a matter of, mm -hmm. well, I don't believe that, or I never said that. It was take my words, summarize it into three keynote slides, slides done. It took me five minutes rather than an hour. Um, but when I was putting this exact same presentation together, I had asked it, what are five quotes from the world's thought leaders? And that this is very relevant to what we're talking about now. Give me five quotes from thought leaders about the value of being a generalist over a specialist. And it gave me the most brilliant, gorgeous quotes that were perfect for a quote card. Then I put those into Google. None of them existed. None of those people said any of those things, and it even provided me links. And I even said, uh, you realize that none of these quotes exist. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Actually, these are not accurate. Try these instead with hyperlinks. You click on the hyperlink, and it goes to a 404 error. And I'm like, what is happening and right see, now? And see, this goes back to the uh, that AI, uh, no pun intended, isn't binary. It's not going to be perfect. Uh, uh, so there is this long tail of there's the promise but it's going to take a long time to get there. If, if you're interested, this is a great uh, example of this, is that uh, there recently was a lawyer. In fact, if you go to the uh, YouTube uh, page, Legal Eagle, uh, he has a great summary of this. But a lawyer filed a motion and cited different cases to back up his, uh, uh, his, his client's viewpoint, and none of them were real. They cited cases that didn't exist, uh, and the the case is under it's it's pretty hairy right now. But to be, even be, because of that, we need to be cognizant of of what information we're asking it for, and and as I mentioned, double check it. But that again goes back to the point of this isn't going to fix the world tomorrow. It's going to be a long time, which means we're still employed if we're doing it the old way. Right. Uh, so I've, I've done my best up until this point um, to make this an evergreen conversation, which frankly, with this topic is nearly impossible because there is no such thing as evergreen when talking about AI. However, there's one last thing that I want to talk about very, very briefly that's extremely, at least for now, it's time, uh, it's very timely. And it, frankly, I don't know if this conversation is going to not be timely anytime soon, but at least as of recording this, we're in the middle of a writer strike. Mm -hmm. And the writer strike could potentially lead to a sag after strike. DGA has just potentially come to an agreement, but AI is at the forefront of this for everybody. So the other part of this is not just how do we as creatives make sure that we can, you know, not be replaced by the technology or by the software, but what about when it actually comes to the studios or the corporations that are thinking, why are we dealing with all these below the line people that keep striking and keep unionizing? when we can just do it ourselves with these tools. So, so how do we protect ourselves in that scenario? Uh, it's gonna come to a point where uh, your likeness and data sets are private and they can't be used without your consent, which people will then spit into jobs, right? I'm gonna make a model of myself and voice and all my likeness and then rent it out to the highest bidder. Uh, but there, uh, as much as I don't want to see it, there's going to have to be some legislation uh, uh, surrounding that uh, and how you, how that data can be used. I think what the uh, what the guilds are doing now with the strikes, I think, is very forward thinking and saying you can't replace us. And my hope is that uh, if those angles are agreed to, that when it does come up next time, that that 
language will not only be there, but will be even more fleshed out because we'll have a better idea of what AI and generative AI can do uh, that we just don't know today. Yeah. And the what I want to add to this and uh, both add to it, but also kind of take it off into a different bit of a tangent before we wrap up. Uh, and this is something that I actually wrote about recently in a piece that I did for The Hollywood Reporter. And I'm actually I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but I think that if the if the fundamental argument is you can't replace us, that's faulty because it's saying we're replaceable as opposed to you can't replace us because there is no capability of you replacing us and here's why. So what we need to do is have a discussion about what can or can't be done. But if the premise is we're replaceable, but you're not allowed to replace us, evolution is going to show otherwise. And it's it's like saying I'm a buggy whip operator or I'm a buggy whip creator and I create horse-drawn carriages for a living and we can't be replaced by automobiles. There's no legislation in the world that would have stopped that from happening, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel that what's what's really important with the language of this argument is it's not, you're not allowed to replace us, it's we are not replaceable and here's why. That, that to me is the part of the discourse that I think we have to be very, very careful about right now. But I agree that as, as much as you know, we don't want legislation and regulation and the government to get into it, even the biggest names for the biggest tech companies and CEOs that are creating this technology are saying, uh, you guys really need to regulate us. Uh, you guys need to come in here right now. Um, that's that that's a big part of this discussion. And I think that um, as far as the strikes are concerned, to think that this is something we table to see how it works out is an absolute existential threat to what all of us do, no matter what our craft is. So having said that, uh, <laughs> going a little bit uh, into insider baseball and behind the scenes, I wasn't going to bring this up in the beginning, but I have to say that I'm really impressed that you and I made it through a 90-minute conversation, given the amount of COVID brain fog that both you and I are dealing with right now. So we made it, my friend. We survived, and I hope that we were at least somewhat coherent. Uh, I hope so, too. Uh, I hope this doesn't sound like uh, our voices were generated by AI. I, I hope it sounds, it sounds like we've had coffee and not that we haven't. Uh, and I'm glad you're on the mend. Uh, I uh, I apologize uh, for for getting you sick. I, oh, I, didn't you didn't, I wasn't to, even going to bring that part of it up. I, I, um, so I've, well, I'm, there, I'm sure there's people who were at the same event we were. Uh, I don't know if you want to share it or or I can. Well, but, uh, essentially, the the panel that you and I discussed talking about AI that we've referenced several times was also the super spreader panel where everybody walked away and got COVID, myself included, yourself included, a bunch of our other colleagues, which um, I wasn't even going to go there. Um, but I will admit that I've had the thought more than once since the combination of that presentation and me having COVID was, man, it would be really awesome right now if I already had this technology in place so we can just do the podcast for me. So the combination and the confluence of these two events simultaneously, I'm like, I should really look into this so the next time i'm down or i have a vacation i can just keep the train rolling um, it's a slippery I, slope be careful because it, it's it's the the you know the first the first hit will hook you right? yeah well it, at least to our knowledge you and i are not artificial intelligence and we are real human beings and that would be a part two podcast to talk about are we connected to the matrix and we're not going there now but at least for now i can assure you that both you and i are both caffeinated and we are both human um but for now for anybody that has either been inspired terrified or a combination of the two by this conversation and they want to interact with you learn more about you go to the all of the various resources that you both offer now and i think all of the amazing Amazing things you're going to be doing in the near future. What's the easiest way to find and connect with you? Uh, at Michael Thomas on a majority of the socials, uh, or you can also go to MichaelComas.com or uh, Five Things Series 
dot com and uh the next episode because five things has been uh gone for a bit uh will be on ai i'm in the process of finalizing that script right now well i'm I'm looking forward to to seeing that and learning more from you and you've been a very valued friend throughout uh, many many years i'm going to make sure that we link to the other past conversations that we've had in the podcast they're completely and totally different than what we talked about today but they're still equally valuable and relevant um, and can't thank you enough for you taking the time especially given present circumstances and how you feel for still prioritizing this and chatting today. So uh, great to see you again. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Zach. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.